Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown, the podcast. From the historic Zone Radio studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball. Hey, welcome in. Yes, it is Downtown, the podcast. Rich Kimball with you, along with Carrie Haskell on this 263rd episode of Downtown. Brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Well, as uh, is usually the case, a pair of fine conversations for you this week on the program. A little bit later on, we talk with New Orleans blues man Johnny Sansone about his career. Now, first, though, a great friend of the show, our radio show and the podcast, talking about actress Perry Gilpin, who joined us to celebrate uh, the 3,000th downtown radio show recently. Uh, Her induction into the show's Hall of Fame and a, a number of things, including her upcoming appearance on the reboot of Frasier. Here's Perry Gilpin on Downtown. Hello, Perry. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for joining us for our 3,000th show. Congratulations on your 3,000th show. It's, uh, yeah, 3,000 shows, almost 12 years. And we think out of those 3,000, there have been like seven or eight pretty good ones. I think so, too, <laughs> at least. Well, all the ones that you've been on have been great. Well, yeah, you have mine, and uh, you have uh, Toblowski's, and yeah, yeah. you have Paula Poundstone. Right, right. You've got, um, and then also John Davidson and Ken Burns, and you have uh, you have so many people that are regulars, and then also I'm sure you have a lot of fun people that I don't even know about that are maybe locals or in sports or things like that. We do. We do have great guests here. And by congratulations, too, on being voted in by our listeners to the first class of the Downtown Hall of Fame. And you named a lot of the people that are in it. It's a, it's a pretty nice group of people that have been kind enough to not just come on once but keep coming back. And we're, we're, we're pretty happy about that and grateful to them all. Well, it's always fun. An exciting time for you. Your daughter's coming home from college. Yes, they are. They are. They're on their way home. And we're going to go get one tomorrow, and then we'll go get the other one next weekend. And um, it's a long drive. It's like eight hours up to get one. Oof, and wow. um, But it's always, uh, you know, it's so exciting that you don't mind. You just, you go and you chat. I mean, my, my husband and I have had so much time together alone in the past, <laughs> since whatever, the last nine or ten months. And uh, I don't know if there's anything else that we haven't covered. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you never know. So that's how the empty nest has gone so far, huh? <laughs> it's been great. We've had a lot of fun, and we've traveled, and um, and we've done some good, really fun stuff. And, and we have gotten to know each other again, and we talk, and we, ha- we have a great time. It feels like before we had kids, you know, we have, we, we, we've been having a great time, and I've really enjoyed it, you know. And I'm, I'm like, just trying to get ready for the girls to come home and be, and wonder what my function is you know because they're grown mm. but they're they're but they still aren't fully grown they need your advice but they've been living by themselves all year so they, you know anything you say is a pain you know <laughs> so, and but <laughs> you know what i mean it's like it, you're in that i'm in that weird place as a mom but that's okay that's okay 
We're talking with Perry Gilpin here on Downhead. Speaking of your husband, I saw a couple of posts on social media of some of his artwork that is absolutely fabulous. I agree. I think he's amazing. And thank you for saying that, Rich. It's very nice of you. And he, he does have a show up in New York right now until about mid-June, uh, sorry, mid-July. And his gallery's in Chelsea. It's called C24. And his work is just gorgeous. And one of the cool things about it is, I mean, his work is, uh, when I met him when he was having a show in LA. So I, I mean, I've always I bought a painting and I got the artist. The artist came with it, which was really <laughs> good <laughs> I deal. Expect that <laughs> it was a really good deal. It was super. But the but he, I've always loved his work, and I knew his work because I met him through our uh, the showrunner on Frasier named Chris Lloyd, not the actor Christopher Lloyd, but Christopher right. Lloyd, the writer. And I knew Christian's work from their house because you know they would always entertain, and I would always see these paintings and. So I I have always loved his work, and it's been such a fascinating 24 years of watching someone's, you know, work change and grow and move around. And, you know, like uh, uh, he, he had a guy, uh, his studio was really close to the girls' elementary school, and once the school figured that out, he was at the school a lot more than he was in his studio <laughs> or the kids were at the studio <laughs> – because he also is a great dad and loves kids, but his work really has, I, I don't want to know what the word is morphed into different things. And so during the lockdown, he got to paint a lot and really experiment and, you know, maybe not like this painting, but like these things from this painting. And so the, these five paintings that are up in New York right now are just his the best of the best of the best, and he sent them, and and uh, I, we were there for opening, and it was it just looks amazing there, and it was it's so cool. So thanks for bringing that up. And didn't didn't some of his work make it on the air in in some episodes of Frasier? Um, yes, I do think so. And for some reason, I'm, you know, our line producer Maggie Blanc was also married to an artist named Jean Francois, and he, uh, several of his pieces were like there was one on the fridge like the little uh, postcard for his show was on the refrigerator and I'm just trying to think if anything of Christian's was on it's not coming to mind I don't know if anything of Christian's was actually in Frasier but Kelsey owns pieces and John Mahoney didn't actually John Mahoney owned a couple of Christian's paintings before he even came to Frasier oh, wow. he was because he was a big art he was an art collector and he knew Christian's work so, you know, he, he he also happened to know other people from the show, which was pretty interesting. I also saw a picture of you two that you, you posted when you were in New York. And, uh, my God, you're good-looking people. You Both of you look absolutely <laughs> fabulous. Well, thank you. That's very nice. It's got to be the love. It's got to be the love bringing it out of the two of you. Right. We cleaned up nice, <laughs> you know. Uh, speaking of Frasier, I know you—, you, you you don't know a whole lot about what's uh, going on with the new reboot, but you, you uh, we do know the word got out that you will make an appearance uh, in the reboot of Frasier. So can you tell us a little bit about what that experience was like? It was just amazing. It, I, I can't even put it into words very well because I, I, every other job I've ever worked on, I've loved. I've had amazing experiences, but I've always thought, 
God, I just, I wish it was Frasier. I miss Frasier so much because I miss that, the fun of it. I don't know how it, I loved my character. I've loved other jobs, but I don't as much, but never more, you know? And so to be there, it was like, oh my God, I'm back on Frasier. I just can't <laughs> believe it after all these years. And um, I was really happy about it. And it's, Kelsey is just in the greatest form. He, he, he just stepped into that role so effortlessly and just fills those shoes. It's like he becomes another person. It's He's such a good actor, but this guy is his, I would say his alter ego, but there's other, you know, it's just somebody that he knows, you know, and um, it's a part of him. Frazier's a part of Kelsey. And um, he he just is so charming in the role. And then the show itself has this amazing feel of, it's not exactly like the old show, you know, it's, mm. it's, it's kind of brought on some other things, but with some other elements that work very well. And, but with, with a lot of good respect, like the good kind of respect for what the show used to be and even what Cheers was before that, you know, so there, there's definitely a history and there's definitely things people will recognize and, you know, respond to and, you know, be happy to see. And then there's some new elements that I don't think they'll be unhappy to see. And I saw that uh, Jimmy Burroughs directed at least the pilot. Was he, did he direct the episode you were on? No, Kelsey did. Oh, wow. And I always love it when Kelsey directs because he's really a great director. And and I'm I'm not I'm really mean it. I always loved his episodes, and um, he he n- knows how to make it funny. And he all, what was really interesting about this last uh, episode, this episode that I just did, was we're shooting on May second, and the and that was always the shoot date. And the WGA contract was up the first of May. And usually there's some kind of a grace period. I mean, there's usually a couple of weeks between, you know, before people actually go on strike if they feel like they need to. And with this, it was the writers came down on Monday and said, gosh, it just, you know, I think we might have to miss the um, the taping. And I, I just, I, I said, really? And they said, yeah, we could get an email at any time kind of saying that. And they did. They were gone that night. They, mm-hmm. they didn't even come in on Tuesday, the day we shot the show. And they didn't even come to the studio, you know. And so it was very, very strange for that group of people not to be there. And uh, But Kelsey was directing, and he was sort of on his own in a lot of ways. And he he really ran it. You know, he just, he ran it. He had a lot, you know, he had a lot of um, support from, of course, his cast and the crew. But he took over, and it was, it was great. Was, great job. was it easy slipping back into the character of Roz? Yeah, I was worried. I, I was very scared of it because I thought, you know, I don't want to. How do you know if it's? How do you know if you're going to be able to do it or not? You know, unless you're doing it. You know, and I just thought there. And and it was they wrote they wrote a great, they wrote great words for her, for me. They, they wrote for Roz. They wrote, you know, they, they got it. 
and it was a lot of fun, and I felt like I did a good job. I felt very good about it. That's awesome. I, I can't wait to see that. Now, you mentioned the writers. Well, what's what's the latest? I know um, SAG-AFTRA members have been voting on whether to join the writers uh, in a strike. Is is there any progress, Any anything closer to getting resolved on that end of things? Well, the writers, I think, uh, I believe SAG has voted yes to authorize, authorizing a strike if it comes to that. So hopefully it won't come to that, but the board does have the power to do that, you know, to call a strike at this point. Uh, but I do think that, uh, that they're going, that they're really in serious talks. And um, so I, I'm very hopeful that, that we won't go on strike, but I also, you know, I support the WGA. I support what they're asking for and what they want. I think it's fair I think that they're asking for fairness, mm. and 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 so I and and I think that they're going about it in the strongest way they can, and um and they're doing what they need to do, and I support it is what I'm trying to say, and uh and then the DGA did um go ahead and make a contract, but then like the head of the DGA is Leslie Linka Gladder, who's so amazing. She uh, directed Homeland, and she's a mm. wonderful director. And I think she's she's in the middle of a movie with Robert De Niro, and I just read that that stopped production today. Wow! So it's sort of like, you know, we 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 were fine with our contract, but we but we're in support of the WGA. That's what that seems like to me. I could have gotten it wrong, but um, so I just think everybody's kind of on the same page, and um, there's just a. I just think we. Frank Marshall uh, was interviewed in IndieWire today. I read his, his uh, words and his wife, Kathleen Kennedy's. And, you know, it's just there's a lot of new stuff to figure out. It's kind of a new ball game. It's not the same as it was. And there, and as he said, there's a lot of different entry points. Mm. And there's a lot of different ways to make a movie now. And there's just – and make a film or make a, a television show or – so it's – it's sort of like it's just really time to talk all through this and work it all out. And, and and I loved what he said because it was so hopeful, you know, and upbeat. And hopefully everybody will. I hope so, too. Well, we're certainly behind the writers here and, and hope this all gets resolved and people can uh, can get back to work, do what they're doing. So it's, it's our 3000th show. Uh, we're celebrating. We're having a little party here in, in studio, but... Yeah, I wanted to know if Perry were hosting a party, uh, what would be the essential elements uh, of a good Perry party? Well, you need to have a great cake. Okay, all right, cake sounds and, good. Um, and um, a cake, and um, I think hats are always a must. Whatever oh. kind of hat, you know, it could be a cowboy hat, it could be a straw hat, it can be a pointed, you know, birthday hat. Just think everybody needs a hat. Even gloves are also great. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You know, white gloves are like, you know, my, my work gloves when I'm out raking leaves. Whatever you need, your gloves and hat. <laughs> um, I also think, you know, masks can be great. Um, I like it when everyone has on pantaloons. Mm. And um, <laughs> I think that you have to have hamburgers. And um, grilled shrimp. Oh, grilled shrimp. That sounds yeah. very nice. And a margarita machine is the, the, a great element. 
this party's coming together nicely. I like this, Carrie. Yeah, I, I, I want to be on the guest list to that party. Yes. <laughs> One so, year, I mean, so that's, Carrie. I mean, that's how you should celebrate. So Carrie, our, our producer and co-host here, he is moving to New Orleans. He's been planning this for years, and he's moving down in September. But was was it last year or the year before that your wife came in for Mardi Gras and made bananas foster here in studio. Yeah, it was yeah, it was not not this. So it was two Mardi Gras ago. So like a year and a half ago. Yeah, she came in and and did up bananas fosters, which is mm. yeah, that, that was pretty good. And the time you brought in hurricanes and got us in the mood, that was quite nice. Yes, the the, I, the bananas fosters. That if you if you ever have good bananas fosters, that's like the best dessert in the world. I absolutely love that. Mm, I don't know that I've ever had the real thing like from from New Orleans, but uh, but I I definitely I'm putting that on my list. We probably That's violated good. a lot of uh, a lot of laws because we had an open flame here in the studio. I think they frown on that sort of thing, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, she she does the traditional flaming of the rum, so you get that nice burst of fire. That <laughs> if if our engineer had seen it, he would have been very unhappy. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Yeah. What is, is she going to make something this year? Uh, unfortunately, I think she's working late tomorrow. Oh, so, yeah, God. otherwise I I would beg her to come in studio and caramelize up some well, bananas. You know, for we us. just go with we go with Perry's idea. Margaritas are fine. I'm mm -hmm. okay with that. Oh my god, mar mar margaritas, some guacamole and chips. You got a party. Perfect. Perfect. Well, and what makes it a party for us is that you're here to help us celebrate, Perry. We appreciate it so much. It, it's great to talk with you. Did you, did you get our little, uh, did you get our Hall of Fame uh, memento that we sent out yet? I don't think so. I okay. haven't seen it. All right. You send it. Why, uh, just a few days ago. So keep your, keep your eyes open in the mail. You have a little something special coming your way. Oh, I'll send you a picture. Oh, I'll that would be. It, I'll, I'll put it up. That's so sweet. I loved my box of Maine last year. That was great. <laughs> well, you'll like this, too. And we also sent along, you're under no obligation. We did this mostly as a joke, but we also sent along a temporary tattoo with the show logo. So, you know, if you feel <laughs> really inspired and want to fly the uh, downtown colors, but, but you know, no pressure. Okay. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Perry, thank you so much. Uh, good luck uh, picking up your daughters and uh, have a wonderful time. I know it's going to be a, a great summer for you. We look forward to seeing you uh, back on Frasier when that's uh, on the air. And it's good to talk with you as always. We'll do it again before too long. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Carrie. So great talking to you guys. The wonderful Perry Gilpin celebrating with us here on Downtown. A quick word from Cross Insurance. And when we come back, bluesman Johnny Sansone. Up next. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Why must I fight? Something I can't believe in. Back on downtown, very talented multi-instrumentalist singer. 
New Orleans-based bluesman Johnny Sansone recently joined us. He was coming up here to Maine to do a show after some time in Hawaii. He's got a busy summer schedule. Released uh, just last year, his 12th album called Into Your Blues, our conversation with Johnny Sansone on Downtown. Johnny, thank you so much for being with us. Man, what a pleasure. Glad to be here. Excellent. Uh, we've got such an interesting background. Uh, you uh, you grew up in New Jersey, and your dad was a musician who played with Dave Brubeck. Yeah, he got me started at a real early age, eight years old. He gave me his horn, and uh, he played with Dave Brubeck during the World War II. And, um, you know, I was very fortunate. He took me to shows. I met Dave when I was about 10 years old. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a good way to, to find out what, what it's like to be an entertainer and be in the, uh, music business. I mean, before I could even figure anything else out, a lot of the kids wanted to go play softball. I wanted to hang out with the the guitar players. (laughs) (laughs) And you said on your website that you went to see Howlin' Wolf. I think you were, you're what, 12 years old. And that was a life-changing event for you. Yeah, um, it was completely by accident. I, I was a uh, I was a swimmer, and I went to a swim camp. It was at the University of Miami, so um, I heard this music going on. So I kind of like took off from the little camp, and I saw that he, that he was kind of doing a little teaser thing, and in the in the uh, the the square, and um, to to plug the show that they were having that night. Uh, now at that age, they weren't going to let me into the show, but I was like right up front for watching what he was doing. And then I snuck away that night and just like sat outside the uh, whatever it was, uh, like on campus kind of little concert thing they had, a blues show with a whole bunch of different people. And I, I was too young to even remember who, who the other ones were. But I'll never forget uh, Howlin' Wolf. Now, what led you to New Orleans in 1990 and, and then uh, made you settle down there? Well, it's kind of a long story, but I, I had got out of college in Colorado, and uh, I just kind of started hoboing around to try to play as many different kind of styles of music as I could absorb. And I found that all the cities that I had gone to, uh, I'd, I'd stay long enough to meet some people and learn what I could, take what I could, and go somewhere else. That I, it kept leading me back here to New Orleans. There's just so much um, gravitational pull musically. I, I just felt a lot of influences, and there's so many indigenous music here, uh, a different kind of uh, indigenous music that I, I was just completely fascinated. And I realized a lot of my record a record collection came from uh you know songwriters or musicians that were were here already they were in town so uh, i got to meet a lot of people and uh, it just it was it just turned into a kind of fit and and i tried leaving a couple of times but it was like you know getting off of, of a circus ride I, <laughs> I just let it keep going around yeah, when people listen to your music, you, you can definitely hear that. I mean, it's it's solid blues, but there's that the the, the Cajun, the Zydeco sounds. Those, those come out in the music, and it, you you definitely have absorbed and, and and 
integrated that into your style? Well, I, you know, I'd, I'd done a lot of different things. And I was I was actually living in the Boston area, uh, and I was in Ronnie Earl and the Broadcasters in the late 80s. And I was a singer, harmonica player with his band. And um, at the same time, I was, you know, thinking about all kinds of different styles. But uh, each place that I went to, I really felt like I absorbed something. And at the time of my record crescent city moon my first record i released here in new orleans i had written so much different kind of material just based on the things that i liked i tried to just kind of smash them all together uh which they didn't call, they didn't have a thing called smash up back then but, <laughs> but i i, I kind of you know took otis rush and clifton chenier and you know smashed them together wrote some words and uh and then i started then I won Song of the Year for the uh, Crescent City Moon. And, um, you know, once you start winning awards, I guess you feel like you can actually call yourself a real songwriter. We're talking with Johnny Sansone here on Downtown. Did I read that it was, because uh, you already played sax and guitar and harmonica, but it was going to Clifton Chenier's Wake that inspired you to take up the accordion? I love the sound of the accordion. Um yeah, I just didn't see myself as being an accordion player, but that kind of knocked me over the edge. C.J. Chenier, uh, Clifton's son, was born the same day, the same year as I was. We've, I've known him a long time. Um, something special happened to me that day. I mean, every every great accordion player in the world uh, came to that wake. Um, it was it was pretty amazing, and and. Uh, and I'd, I'd kind of been looking for an instrument that I could, I could use as a courting instrument and sing. Um, and I really wasn't into carrying a B3 around. And, you know, it has a lot of voicings that I was trying to do on the harmonica and, and it just wasn't available to me. So it started, uh, I started playing harmonica the way I played saxophone and then I started playing accordion the way I played harmonica so it was it was just kind of a uh, um I, th I sometimes I feel like it would be the difference between speaking a bunch of different languages they all mean the same thing to the people listening to them but some people don't understand what you're saying because they don't understand that language but when you find yourself uh speaking a couple languages at one time uh it, it can get confusing to people, but it is very interesting as well. How did the great Jimmy that Reed thing, influence your music? Well, I think Jimmy Reed was one of the first guys that I had uh, records of. I, I got um, like some 45 off an old jukebox that uh, it was in our basement. It got smashed up and would barely play so it couldn't be used anywhere and somehow it ended up in our basement it had all these really cool records uh, i had no idea what it was when i first started listening to it and when the uh when the amp stopped i mean when the uh, uh the actual uh player wouldn't play anymore the jukebox you know somebody beat the hell out of it to get the money out of it or something when it stopped actually playing i made it into an amplifier and then i started playing harmonica out of it and it's still like, it seems to me that it's still the best sounding harp amp I've ever had. <laughs> I, 
I just couldn't go. I couldn't take it to anybody else's house to jam when I was a kid. So everybody had to come to my house. <laughs> now, another, uh, you got involved with the Voices of the Wetlands All-Stars, a bunch of really great Louisiana players, and have toured with them. What? How, how did that collaboration come about, and, and why did you get involved with it? Well, I, I was really lucky to get the call. I didn't. I didn't even know what was happening. Um, we had, I'd been working with Pat Benoit uh, and his manager. They, they kind of cooked the whole thing up. And it was to bring awareness to, you know, the coastal erosion that we have here that is the only blind defense for hurricanes that mm. come to, to slow down and stop before they hit the city of New Orleans. And it was just a matter of time before we were going to get wallop. And, uh, it, it made perfect sense to to, uh, to lend my, you know, whatever I had to lend to the band. And I got the call to come to the session, and I didn't even know who was going to be at the session. I didn't even know it was a band, and I really didn't know anything about it. Uh, as soon as I got there, I'm standing next to Dr. John, and he's giving me the thumbs up, and we're <laughs> we're we're rolling into it. George Porter. And I mean, all the legendary guys in the city were all there to record and write and record. And I just happened into it. When the record uh, actually came out, we got hit by hurricane Katrina and we were singing songs about what's going to happen if this ever happens. And then it did happen. And uh, that sent us out on the road. We started touring as a, as a band Mm. And that kind of changed everything because then I really got involved uh, with Anders Osborne, some different guys that, you know, that I wasn't used to playing uh, with and, uh, and started to like, you know, mix even deeper into this, this things that I didn't know about. And, and uh, it really helped me out a lot to, to, um, to be around these guys, but especially become, close, close friends and, and, and travel and record with them. We did two records together. Yeah. Our, our sister station, WKIT, that, that, that those, uh, voices of the wetlands, uh, get a lot of airplay on the, their blues hour and stuff over there. Uh, out of that too, you mentioned the friendship with Andrews Osborne, but you guys, he, he's worked on, he's done, he's produced at least one or, or two of your records since. Well, it, how that got started was uh, after Katrina happened and we were traveling together, you know, he asked me if I had any songs. So I just played some stuff for him on a guitar. And, um, and he said, well, you know, when we get back, we should maybe go in the studio. And I, you know, if you want me to uh, produce a record for you, I would, I would do it. And uh, at the time I was doing a lot of carpentry work and stuff, just trying to get by and he needed carpentry work and I needed a producer. <laughs> so we, we fell into place and uh i brought all my songs to him um just because he's a master songwriter i wasn't really sure if he really liked what i had he told me i'd have to go and make a demo of the songs so i, I went to a friend of mine's and i demoed all the songs on guitar and piano and I gave him the CD of it, and then uh, I didn't hear anything back from him. And I thought, well, he must not like this stuff. <laughs> and when I did talk to him, he said, man, it, it, it sounds great, just you alone doing all that stuff. I, I think that's a great record the way it is. And I was like, well, I was hoping we would you 
know, collaborate. And then uh, he said, okay, well, we can do that too. And we recorded this record in my house because we didn't have any studios. There wasn't any real electricity in the city. Uh, and the city wasn't open for business, but uh, there was a lot of musicians hanging around trying to figure out what they're going to do. So mm. we recorded that record, which is uh, Poor Man's Paradise. And that got nominated for Song of the Year at the Blues Music Awards. And, and, and uh, did a lot, a lot of great things for me uh, and really opened a lot of doors. Yeah, some great guests on that record. Yeah. So that was our first record together. And then Anders, um, you know, said, hey, man, let's look in a different direction. I'd love to have make you a harmonica record where, you know, he was, we started writing songs and just going uh, on a, every Tuesday night to, uh, this place called Chicky Wawa in New Orleans. And I just said, look, uh, John Fole, who will be playing guitar with me on this show uh, on Saturday, uh, the three of us, I just said, look, each week you guys bring in three or four songs that nobody's heard that you just wrote, and we'll play them for the first time in front of people. And it was a great idea because my record, you know, The uh, Lord is Waiting, a lot of those songs came from that. And then uh, Andrew's uh, American Patchwork came from that. And that was one of his breakthrough records. So we, uh, we all just kind of, you know, came together as friends and, and helped each other through stuff. And, and that's how it's rolling now. We're still doing the same thing. And then he produced, uh, once it gets started, Lady on the Levee. Yeah, a bunch of records for me. I have to, I have to say, I've been going to New Orleans for like, the last 20 years or so I'm moving down there this fall. But, uh, the, uh, the moment, one of the moments that made me feel a little bit like a local was last summer. I saw you performing and, uh, you're, you did, uh, one of your songs, the night, the pie factory burnt down. But in the intro to it, you were saying, you said, well, you know, you, anybody from out of town probably won't know what I'm talking about, but all you locals will. And uh, just absolutely yeah. love that song. Can you talk about how this song came about a little bit? Uh, yeah, well, we have a thing. Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, it's the pie is back. But it's, there are little hand pies that you buy, little fried pies, that most of your listeners have probably seen them in different states um, where you go to a gas station and there's a little fried pie. That This was um, something that a, a company that has been here since the 1930s in New Orleans, making these pies fresh, and they would only be out for a, a couple of days, and then they'd come and pick them up and put new ones in. It wasn't like Hostess or any of that those companies. So the, there was no real garbage in these things. They were made just the same way they made them in 1930. So people came up with these pies, and they uh, it was kind of a thing where some people thought they had magical powers. They, they could, you know, you could get through a whole day by just eating one pie or or they cure you from a hangover, or or you know, uh, I I did use them for that cure a couple of times. I, I will say that that cure does work. Well, it, it, you know, it's I got a, I got a million stories about it, but I, I know we don't have much time. I'll get to the point here. Uh, the the when the when the factory burned down, um, a lot of people freaked out and started buying all the pies they could get, <laughs> and then. A few days later, they were selling pies on eBay for like a hundred bucks. You know, because people, <laughs> people 
people thought they'd never see another Hubix pie because they didn't know if it would ever come back. And you were used to having at least a couple of these a week. Some people ate them every day. It was just a real New Orleans thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, we realized, well, that might be the end of it. So uh, I, I'm me being a tragedy writer, I decided I had to write a song about it. And when I couldn't figure it out, I just was racking my brain. How am I going to make a song about something that people don't know what it's about? So I, 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 I kind of took two things together and said, well, if something else happened that night, uh, meaning a, a guy's girlfriend didn't come home that night, something else happened. And the same night, the pies didn't, you know, that you'll never see the pies again. He's never going to see his girlfriend again. So he's like, he's hurting uh, in in two different directions. <laughs> the, the interesting thing is that when I didn't think anybody would know what I was talking about, it really didn't matter. It turned out to be like Hal and Wolf's, uh, you know, smokestack lightning or killing floor or something. People listen to the music that what what are what's he talking about? Smokestack lightning. It doesn't really matter because there's so much emotion behind it and yeah. it's so cool. You don't care what it is. You just dig the music. So, it, you know, it crossed over to uh, it wasn't really a blues song and it got nominated for, you know, best blues song at the uh, Blues Music Awards in Memphis. I was very impressed by that johnny sansone and uh, uh carrie you had a chance to see him in concert uh, last weekend he put on a heck of a show i understand yeah it was a it was a really great show uh he played a, a bunch of accordion uh songs with accordion in them which is i dare say that may be my wife's favorite instrument to hear live wow. she absolutely loves accordion playing and uh, man johnny was great at it and you'd seen him before. You'd seen him on more than one occasion down in New Orleans. Yeah, the Crescent City Blues Festival and uh, a couple of other smaller venues as well. So, well, uh, thanks to Johnny, a great guy. Got to have him back on again. And, of course, the wonderful Perry Gilpin. And to you for joining us this week on Downtown, the podcast. Brought to you by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength.